Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. Today we're going to be talking about the Batman's continued dominance at the top of the box office and a great showing from another anime feature film, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero the Movie. Lots to break into there, including where it ranks amongst the anime openings here domestically. And when we get towards the end of the show, I have a change to one of the streaming charts, a brand new thing that I'm calling a Merle metric for Netflix. I'm excited to break that down for you as well. So many things to get to, but first I want to thank my partner here on the show as I have the last several weeks, Carbon Health. I love being a partner with Carbon Health because I love their mission, which is to make healthcare accessible and affordable for everybody. They have over 100 locations across 14 states, including 50 locations in California, across the Bay Area, Los Angeles, Sacramento, and North San Diego. Carbon Health isn't just interested in healthcare, they also love engaging communities like this one that love to share their love for culture and movies and everything else that we appreciate here on the channel. And even if you don't go to a Carbon Health location right Regularly, you can still download the app so that you can have all the locations in case you're on the road and you need a doctor quick on the go for either a virtual or an in-person appointment. As always, I want to thank Carbon Health for their support and for being my partner here on the show. Let's look at the weekend box office, and as expected, The Batman was the number one film for a third consecutive weekend with another really good hold, a 45% drop-off for a total weekend of $36.7 million. The Batman now becomes the eighth DC film to cross the $300 million mark domestically, the first DC film since 2019's Joker to achieve that feat. It's also the fourth Batman film to cross that $300 million mark following The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, and Batman. Batman v Superman. This week, the Batman is going to pass the domestic grosses of Suicide Squad, Joker, and Aquaman to become the fourth highest grossing DC film of all time domestically, behind only Wonder Woman and The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. So a continuing impressive box office run for the Batman. But we also have a movie that some of you may have looked at and said, wait, what is that movie? As a matter of fact, last week when I did the show, when I was going over all the new releases, when I was pulling information, the site that I do for my upcoming releases didn't even have this movie listed on there. I would have mentioned it on last week's show. I'm rectifying that situation now. But Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the movie, which is an anime film. It is a prequel to the Jujutsu Kaisen TV series, although it's part of an adapted series of manga when you go back to the original, original source material. I did a full review for the movie here on the channel. I went and saw it uh, this past weekend, and I actually really enjoyed it. I think that we're entering a phase of of some really impressive and fun feature films that are based on anime uh, TV series and, of course, the manga themselves. Demon Slayer was, of course, a huge story back in 2020 worldwide. It was the highest-grossing worldwide film of 2020. It was a big opener here domestically last year, right around this time. And when we look at the all-time anime film openings domestically, it was making waves here. Pokemon, the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, still holds the overall mark with $31 million followed by Demon Slayer the movie Mugen Train with 22.7 million, Pokemon the movie 2000 with 19.5 million, but right behind it there you see Jujutsu Kaisen Zero the movie at 17.6 million, that bumps Dragon Ball Super Broly down to 9.8, and you can see this growth, I mean we have two of the top five anime openers ever domestically opening within a year of each other, and this was the widest release yet for an anime film, it was a wider release even than Demon Slayer was last year, 
year. It was on over 2,000 screens, and this seems like a market that is growing here in the United States, particularly, of course, in Japan. It's been big for a while, and it's been big with enthusiasts across the world for many, many decades now. But I think with the advent of streaming services and the availability of these shows, we're now seeing Jujutsu Kaisen Zero and movies like it break more into the mainstream as people discover the manga, as people discover the TV shows that are being generated from that manga. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen is, of course, being carried on Crunchyroll here in the United States, but it's also on HBO Max. Demon Slayer is on Netflix. So I think we're only going to see this market grow, and I actually like that these movies were also good. You know, a lot of times these tie-in movies with any TV show can be kind of soulless, uh, you know, filler, money grabs, whatever you want to call them. These are actually two really good movies, so I'm glad that people are going out to see an anime film, maybe even for the first time, and they're actually being rewarded with a good movie. When we look at the per theater averages, neither the Batman nor Jujutsu Kaisen Zero had the top per theater average for the weekend. That went to a movie called Ahead's Knee, which was a Palm d'Or contender at Cannes last year. It won the Grand Jury Prize. It's a movie about an Israeli director fighting what he perceives to be censorship in a small desert town. It was only in one theater, and you often see that with the per theater average. If it's only playing in one place, then that's going to generate a lot of income. The Batman at number two with $8,500 in 4,300 theaters, but Jujutsu Kaisen not too far behind. $7,700 in about half Half as many theaters, a little over half. Uh, but again, that just shows the smart programming strategy here. Yes, it was a wide release, but it didn't super saturate the marketplace. It looked like uh, there was the exact number of theaters for the demand that this movie was being met with. Uh, it wasn't particularly crowded, for example, here uh, in Arkansas when I went to see it, but I have heard reports from people in California and in uh, Texas and a lot of other states, people sending me stuff uh, on YouTube or through uh, social media, Twitter, etc., that were saying that they were impacted houses, sold out theaters. That is great programming. That means that they are meeting the demand for these movies and this per theater average uh, is a testament to that. At number four is a film called The Cashmere Files, which was open in 230 theaters, which made $6,400 roughly per theater. It's a bit of a controversial film. We'll see it later on in the show. It has had some uh, allegations thrown against it that it has an anti-Muslim bias. It is a Hindi language film uh, from India covering real life events in Indian history. Uh, so perhaps some of that controversy generating uh, people going to the movies, but also as we've seen, Indian films are really strong performers here at the specialty box office. And then at number five is uh, again in one theater, a re-release of the film Mr. Klein generating $4,800 in that one theater. Looking at how this weekend did against 2021 and 2019, uh, we can see that, again, we are performing well ahead of 2021. Things were just starting to get back on track this time last year. But also below 2019, this was during the reign of Captain Marvel and the buildup to Avengers Endgame. It's going to be another quiet weekend at the box office coming up. We're going to look at the movies that are being released. But uh, really, Morbius is the next one in a couple of weeks when we're really going to be hoping to step things up at the box office. So we will see. Of course, we're not going to see anything, although we'll see how Doctor Strange does, but I don't think it's going to be anything rivaling what we saw with Avengers Endgame, but then again, what is? That was uh, almost a once-in-a-generation event. 
You might have heard that thunder there. Uh, we have a little bit of a thunderstorm moving here. I'm going to be a weatherman here. We got a thunderstorm moving here as the cold front crosses Arkansas. So if you hear the weather uh, while I'm doing the show, uh, it's March. You're going to hear it again uh, as I continue to report here uh, from the home studio. Let's look at something that I just started last week, which is the box office market share for 2022. Now, something to keep in mind, these are all movie tickets sold. So it's not just movies that were released in 2022. If Spider-Man No Way Home sold a ticket in 2022, you're going to see it on this chart. And a lot of people, by the way, speaking of Spider-Man, saying, well, why are you including Sony as the sole uh, stakeholder with Spider-Man? Why are you not cutting in uh, Disney? Well, if it was an official co-production, I would, but the way that things are listed, the way that the film uh, Spider-Man No No Way Home is put on the industry sheets, etc., it is a Sony film. Now, yes, there is a revenue share uh, with with Marvel uh, and with Disney, uh, but that's all what happens happens behind the scenes. I have to go with how the film is listed. It is listed as a Sony film. So we see here a uh, Sony still with 30% of the box office market share for 2022. Spider-Man No Way Home playing a big part in that. Uncharted also playing a big part. Those are the top two films of the year. But Warner Brothers picked up 3% market share. It went from 23% to 26% just this past weekend over the continued strong performance of the Batman. Uh, Paramount looking to potentially pick up some market share this upcoming weekend with the Lost City and then Sony looking to rebound when Morbius comes out because that is another Sony release. Disney and Fox so far uh, pretty much playing on the sidelines. Of course, they're going to be jumping into the market in a big way with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and you're going to see that slice uh, expand quite a bit. But as it stands, Sony with 30% market share for the year so far. Warner Brothers with 26%. Again, mainly off of the back of the Batman. Paramount with 12%. Universal with 11 Disney and Fox with 9%. MGM UA now officially owned by Amazon at 6%. Lionsgate gets 3%. And then all other exhibitors are at 5%. They picked up some market share largely because uh, A24's X... Uh, open to about four and a half million dollars this weekend at the box office. If you haven't seen that movie, it's another, it is a twisted horror movie, but it's one that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and you can see my review for that movie here on the channel as well. Turning now from wide release, let's look at movies that are in limited release or the specialty box office. These are movies that are in 1,000 theaters or fewer. The Cashmere Files, I mentioned earlier, was the number one film at the specialty box office this past weekend with $1.4 million from a 230 theaters. The widest release in the specialty box office uh, was the second highest performer, uh, Sandra O oh and Uma was in 800 theaters, but grossed less than a million dollars, $915,000. At number three, there's a big drop-off here. Uh, we have Kiki Palmer in a movie that played at Sundance this year. I actually liked it, although it seems like most critics did not, called Alice in 170 theaters. It generated $173,000. Cyrano falls to number four in its sixth week with $131,000. And then in its fifth week, there was an expansion for the remastered Godfather 50th anniversary print that will be hitting digital and physical media soon but in 596 theaters it was able to generate $115,000 
at the box office. Looking at the limited release box office year to date, so these are all the movies this year that have played in 1,000 theaters or fewer. The number one film is still BTS Permission to Dance, which was a one weekend only event. And that's another one where some people got some pushback or gave me some pushback and said, well, like, wait a minute, why are you including it with a bunch of other movies? It's a special event, it shouldn't count. Listen, I understand it's not exactly the same thing, but it's listed on the box office sheets, it's selling tickets, I know that they're more expensive tickets. There's all kinds of caveats to the box office right now. We've got surge pricing. We've got special events. Uh, I, you know, some people saying, well, you should list it separately. I understand that thinking. But for now, I'm just going to try to holistically take in all this data. And then if we start branching out into more special events like the BTS thing from last weekend, uh, then perhaps we'll subdivide these charts. But for now, BTS goes in with everything else. It's the number one limited release for 2022, followed by Cyrano with $3.6 million, The Worst Person in the World with $2.7 million, at $1.8 million. That may go up. There's not an updated number. A lot of folks saying like, why wasn't this Indian film listed on the chart? Or why wasn't that one? It is very hard to get up-to-date numbers on Mondays for a lot of films from India uh, playing uh, in India and in other countries internationally, but also playing here domestically. So you may see that move up and down as more information is available. The 2022 Oscar shorts with $1.5 million stay in fifth place. Then at number six is a new film, The Cashmere Files, which we talked about, $1.4 million, followed by the 50th anniversary of The Godfather, The Beatles Get Back in IMAX, Uma entering the chart at number nine with uh, just under a million dollars, and at number 10, The Tiger Rising. That means that we say goodbye to Gangubai, Katiawadi, and Clean, both getting bumped off of this list by our two new entries. Let's look outside the domestic marketplace now and see what people are watching out of the country and internationally no big surprise here the batman still the number one movie generating 49.1 million dollars in the international market uncharted at number two still a strong worldwide play with 19 million dollars here's one that's actually opening in international markets before it opens here domestically the bad guys which is an animated film coming up in a few weeks it's beginning its rollout in other countries it brought in 8.4 million dollars followed by sing 2 still playing in internationally despite opening at Christmas here uh, domestically 6.1 million dollars and then at number five another film that we're not going to see here domestically for a little bit Michael Bay's Ambulance which generated 4.3 million dollars in some selected international markets in which it opened so when you take the international numbers you combine them with the domestic numbers we get our top five films worldwide at least the ones that were reporting numbers as of now the Batman adding another $85.9 million to its worldwide total. That is a less than 40% drop-off, I think, from last week worldwide. So it's not only holding well here domestically, it's also holding well internationally. That does include an opening in China. We talked about the fact that it was going to open in China. Uh, that was hampered by a lot of re-enhanced lockdowns due to a COVID-19 surge there. So go figure. We had two movies, actually, Uncharted and The Batman. Batman that opened in China this past week only to find many theaters closed as they deal with one of their first major surges uh, since the pandemic began back in 2020. So not a big impressive number for Batman, but also largely because many theaters were closed, many people could not leave their homes. Uncharted was number two for the weekend with $27 million worldwide, followed by Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the movie, $22 million. Remember, that already played in Japan last year. It came out on the 
24th of December 2021. That's why it's not listed as a 2022 movie. That also did a lot of business in Japan. It's currently the 21st highest grossing film of all time in Japan. Uh, came close to setting some daily records there. The Bad Guys, number four internationally, followed by Sing 2 at number five. When we look at 2022 as a whole, let's look at the worldwide box office first. And everything stays the same from last week, although it looks like there's about to be a changing of the guard at the top. The Battle at Lake Changjin 2 is currently still the highest grossing film of the year with $632 million, but the Batman is very close behind. It's at $598 million, so unless something crazy happens, the Batman will take over that slot. It will become the highest-grossing film of the year worldwide next week. The Battle at Lake Chungjin 2 will drop down to number two. Too Cool to Kill is at number three. Uncharted is at number four. It's looking to make maybe another $70 million. I don't know if it's going to quite get there to take over that number three spot. Nice View is at number five. Boonie Bears Back to Earth at six. Scream is at number seven. Death on the Nile at number eight. Sniper is at number nine. And Only Fools Rush In is at number 10. Looking at the domestic numbers, as I mentioned, Batman has eclipsed the $300 million mark. At number two is Uncharted, which has passed $125 million, followed by Scream at $81.3 million, Jackass Forever at $57.2 million, Dog at $54.1 million, angling to take that number four spot from Jackass, Death on the Nile at number six with $43 million, Marry Me at number seven with $22 million, Moonfall at number eight with $19 million, but it looks like that's going to drop down fall, if you will, down to number nine because Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the movie, opened with $17.6 million, and I think it's got at least another couple million in the tank, so it looks like that's going to be the number eight movie very shortly. That drops the 355 down one spot to number 10, and the movie Blacklight, starring Liam Neeson after re-entering the chart last week, is now back off the chart. And let's wrap up our look at the yearly box office chart by looking at our worldwide box office for the previous 365 days. If you wind back the calendar to one year ago today, these are the top five films. Spider-Man No Way Home, which may sit at the top of this chart on that total for who knows how long, maybe a full 365 days. It's approaching the $1.9 billion mark worldwide. The Battle at Lake Changjin is at number two with $913 million, followed by No Time to Die at $774 million. F9 at $726 million, and the battle at Lake Chongjin 2 at $632 million. But the Batman looking to disrupt that, that's going to be in the top five by next week as it eclipses the $600 million mark worldwide. And then we'll see if it can make a play uh, for number four or number three. Venom Let There Be Carnage drops down one slot to number seven, followed by Godzilla vs. Kong, which will now officially make the 365-day club. Ring the bells, we'll put up a banner or something uh, in three Three days it will have been on this chart for a full calendar year. So uh, Godzilla versus Kong, congratulations. I think you joined Tenet. I'll have to go back and check. Uh, not too many f- movies can stay on this chart for one entire year, uh, but this will be the last time we see Godzilla versus Kong. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings at number nine. C- too Cool to Kill is at number 10. When we look at movies that are due to rotate off of this chart, the next one we're looking at is F9, which looks like it's going to make it. It is uh 
basically two months away, 60 days away from rotating off the chart. Will there be other movies that come out that we can put up there that may even surpass it before we get to 365 days? Well, only time will tell. There's a lot of movie going to be done between now and then. Before we move on, I want to thank the sponsor of today's video, which is Athletic Greens. You know, a lot of people take a multivitamin or several multivitamins or several different pills and powders to try to get all the stuff that their body needs. Why bother with all that stuff? It's complicated. It's expensive when you can get it all in one convenient pouch with Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens doesn't just have high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. It tastes good. I feel like a lot of people that make these things lose track of that. It's something that I actually enjoy drinking. It's something I have in the morning. You can throw it in some water. You can put it in a smoothie. Do whatever you want. The important thing is it has stuff for what your body needs, no matter what you're focusing on. I'm focusing on overall health, but I really started taking Athletic Greens because I'm focusing on gut health. Athletic Greens has a lot of probiotics, which help me to make sure that I'm the healthiest that I can be on the inside while I also work on the outside. And Athletic Greens is lifestyle friendly. It contains less than one gram of sugar. It has no GMOs, no artificial anything while also tasting good. Athletic Greens is a great combination of something I actually enjoy taking and something that is good for me. And to make it easy for you to try, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Dan. Again, that is athleticgreens.com Dan to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for sponsoring today's show. Before we look at the streaming charts and a new change that I made, as always, I want to look at a box office flashback. And we're going to go back 22 years to March 17th through 19th in the year 2000. This was the weekend before the Academy Awards. It should be the week, I should say, before the Academy Awards. And this is a very interesting feat. We don't see this very often. So on March 17th of 2000, the film Aaron Brockovich, starring Julia Roberts, opened to $28.1 million. A week later, there were the Academy Awards for the film year of 1999. And then almost one year later, Julia Roberts would win the Oscar for her performance in Aaron Brockovich. So she joins a very small club. Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster, for example, are two other actors who have done this, who have been in a movie that opened before the previous year's Oscars and then were in the conversation for an entire year plus and were able to take home the Academy Awards. At number two is Mission to Mars from Brian De Palma in its second week with $11.3 million. I can tell you where I was the weekend of March 17th through 19th, 2000, because I was watching Final Destination. It debuted in number three with $10 million. Of course, it would go on to launch a several film-long franchise that I really enjoy. Some of them are good movies, some of them just guilty pleasures, but I definitely remember seeing that movie on opening weekend. My Dog Skip in its 10th week, that was a year-end hit that stuck around with $5.2 million. And then in its second week, Johnny Depp in The Ninth Gate with $3.5 million rounded out the top five. So let's look at the streaming charts. And before I get to the changes I made to my Netflix chart, let's see what the top 10 on Prime Video are. As reported by Amazon Prime, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Season 4 remains at number one, followed by the second season of Upload 
and the first season of Reacher. Master, which was another film that played Sundance. I did not get a chance to check it out uh, virtually when I was watching a lot of movies at the festival, so I'm going to try to check this one out. Enters the chart at number four, the only new entry this week. Lucy and Desi is at number five. The Protégé, a non-Amazon original at number six. Hotel Transylvania, Transformania at number seven. The Boys, Diabolical Season 1 at number eight. The Proposal, the only other non-Amazon original on this chart is at number nine. And the Amazon original film, I Want You Back, is at number 10. Looking at what people are watching and renting over on iTunes, Spider-Man No Way Home officially now available for purchase and no shocker here. It is the number one film on iTunes, followed by Licorice Pizza, available for purchase and rental. Uh, Join the discourse, rented on iTunes. Sing 2 is at number three, still available for purchase. God, this movie is doing so much money in so many different ways. I would love to see the books behind this and how it made its money. House of Gucci is at number four. Dog, available premium video on demand, is at number five. Belfast, another Best Picture nominee, is at number six. The Matrix Resurrections re-enters the charts at number seven. Richard, a Best Picture nominee, is at number eight. Marry Me, now available for purchase, enters the chart at number nine. And Ghostbusters Afterlife rounds the chart out at number 10. So this is usually where I get into the Netflix charts and I report the raw hours watched both for movies and series on Netflix. This is a metric that they started reporting last year and I've just sort of been subdividing it between movies and series because they will just tell you how many hundreds of millions or millions of hours were watched for each program just as one big data point. Generally, for example, with series, you get a lot longer watch time because there are multiple episodes. With movies, you get a shorter watch time because it's only one 90-minute or 120-minute long movie. And I've been struggling with how to report this data because the only real way to, to try to get some metric as to what people are watching for me was to report movies and series. But I decided to come up with something that Mara actually suggested the name for, which is the Merle metric, which is a way to try to estimate just how many people may be watching, or at least what the proportion might be, any particular program that's on Netflix. So for example, these are the most watched weekly Netflix titles by hours watched. The third week of Squid Game, Netflix reported 571 million hours watched. Squid Game also the second highest performer, and the third highest performer, and the fourth highest performer. You see here 448 million hours watched, 412 million hours watched, 258 million hours watched. Then All of Us Are Dead in in its second week was the fifth highest performer reported by Netflix with 236 million hours watched, followed by Money Heist, Inventing Anna, another week of Money Heist, the third season of You, and the second season of The Witcher. But even amongst TV series, they all have different run times. Some series have six episodes, some have eight, some have ten. The struggle for me has been trying to estimate how many people are watching these different shows and movies, because when you look here at the most watched weekly number for series versus movies, you see, uh, for example, that number one slot, 571 million hours watched for Squid Game versus 152 million hours watched for the second week that Don't Look Up was out. So the highest charting number for any movie was almost five times less than the highest charting weekly number for any series. So it's always going to be hard. You can't compare them at all until now. 
because I decided to try something and I'm actually very, very happy with what I've done. So we know the total number of hours watched because Netflix reports those. We also know the total number of hours that every movie or TV series runs because we know the runtime. I can look up the runtime. So I've decided to do something called the Merle metric, which is I look at uh, the charts that Netflix provides. I take the total number of hours watched. I divide it by the total number of hours that the series or movie is. So if uh, Squid Game has 500 million hours watched, but it's a 10 hour long series, then you divide that 500 million by 10 and you get maybe the rough number of people that could have watched the whole thing. And the important thing to note is this is not me saying this is absolutely how many people watch Squid Game, but it is saying how many people could have watched Squid Game and maybe that sort of helps to put things in perspective a little bit with especially movies versus TV series because when you think about it if you have five people that watch a 500 minute video and 500 people that watch a five minute video well if you look at it just by raw hours watch it'll say that the audience was basically the same but really you have five people versus 500 people. So let's look at this adjustment in action. We looked at that chart that was the most, the highest rated number for any Netflix weekly title. The closest movie that you could see in there was uh, Don't Look Up in its second week. It was in 13th place with 152 million hours watched. But when you take those hours watched, you divide it by how many hours long each one of these series or movies actually are. I think you get a much different picture at what the performance has been for these different series and movies on Netflix. So let's take that all-time number again, but when you apply the Merle metric and you'll see the Netflix program with the highest potential watch time was actually Red Notice in its first week with 75.4 million hours. So you take that watch time, which wasn't close to the overall watch time of Squid Game, but when you divide it by the fact that Red Notice is a short movie and Squid Game is a long series, I think you can now safely say that since Netflix has been reporting these metrics, Red Notice is perhaps its most most watched weekly program of all time. But this also doesn't diminish Squid Game. You can see that week three of Squid Game is at number two, but Squid Game is also at number five, and Squid Game is also at number eight there. And I think it also shows more of the pattern of how people watch shows. You can see Squid Game week two at number five was a jump up over week one, which isn't on this chart. So week one, some people are watching the show. Week two, more people start watching the show. Then you see Squid Game week three, the second highest number here that's probably the most people that are either starting the show or finishing the show and then squid game week four you have people that are completing their watch of the series so i think this actually breaks out how people watch different movies and shows in a very interesting way so red notice at number one squid game week three at number two and then don't look up in its second week had the third highest watch potential with 66.2 million hours followed by the second week of red notice then squid game week two and then we have the adam Prize project here which is a new entry with 52.2 million potential hours watched and this is another thing where if you look at just the raw number it's not even close to the highest numbers that anything on Netflix has posted but it is a shorter movie and given the number of hours watched in total it looks like the Adam project was actually very popular just outside the top five 
The same with The Unforgivable, starring Sandra Bullock. That's there at number seven with 50.5 million potential hours watched. Then we have the fourth week of Squid Game, the first week of The Kissing Booth 3, a very popular series of films on Netflix that, again, hasn't really been near the top of the total hours watched metric, and then the first week of Don't Look Up. So with Don't Look Up, you see 48.2 million potential hours watched. That's how many people watched it that first week, and then word of mouth started going around, the social media buzz, etc., and you see that big jump in week two versus Red Notice. You have The Rock, you have Ryan Reynolds, you have Gal Gadot. Obviously, a big first week, a big pop right out of the gate. It shows that Don't Look Up took some time for word of mouth to spread, whereas Red Notice was a big pop right away. And I can just say anecdotally that this confirms what I saw, particularly with Don't Look Up, because I posted my review of Don't Look Up Uh, early before it came out and it kind of leveled off and then when the movie came out even a few days out I saw my views do this which is very unusual and that showed to me that it picked up momentum as people saw it word of mouth spread so whereas Red Notice was much more of an instant hit Don't Look Up was much more of a word of mouth hit so this is how I'm going to be reporting the Netflix numbers from now on with this Merle metric total number of hours watched divided by how many hours of a show is available. So let's look at the inaugural chart. I'm calling this the 10 most watched programs of the week on Netflix using global Merle metrics. This is for the week of March 7th through March 13th. And you see the Adam Project is number one. It had a total number of 92.4 million hours watched and a Merle metric number of 52.2 which is about three times its nearest competitor. So this is a very highly watched program on Netflix this past weekend. At number two is the Netflix movie The Weekend Away with 26.2 million hours watched and a metric number of 17.3. And then you see here number three, more total hours watched than The Adam Project, 95,720,000, but it's a series and it has a much lower Merle metric number at 14, but still the third most watched uh, global program on Netflix, followed by The Bombardment, which is a premiere movie. It is a movie, uh, a Danish movie about the accidental bombing of a school near Copenhagen by the RAF during World War II. Maybe not the most lighthearted thing ever, but particularly given current world events, uh, but drawing a lot of audience eyeballs worldwide with 11.7 on the Merle metric score. Then Against the Ice at number five, season five of The Last Kingdom making its debut at number six with 63.5 million hours watched. But when you divide that by the number of episodes and their runtime, you get that Merle metric number of seven. Shrek is at number seven, followed by Worst Roommate Ever, which has a low hours watch, but those are also shorter episodes and there's fewer of them. So that gets it in there at number eight. And then Shrek 2 at number nine. People loving Shrek worldwide, but we already knew that. And then at number 10, Vikings Valhalla season one with the Merle metric number of 6.2. So I know that this is a bit confusing. Uh, I'll try to run through it again as I go. But this for me is a much more satisfying way of reporting these numbers because I'm not just reciting to you the numbers that Netflix puts out uh, with, you know, unadjusted adjusted for anything and showing pieces of her as, you know, oh, everybody watched pieces of her. More people watch pieces of her than watch The Adam Project. Well, no, when you adjust it with these Merle metrics, a substantial number of people, more people watch The Adam Project 
then watch pieces of her. It's just the pieces of her is much longer and has many more hours to watch. So the Adam Project uh, looking like a big hit. Ryan Reynolds, uh, a big get for Netflix. And when I was doing these numbers, I think the biggest surprise for me is that uh, when you go down all of the different performers, and I did, I looked at all the debuts, a big budget deal that Netflix did uh, with Tyler Perry, uh, um, a Medea Homecoming didn't really move the needle at all. There were many other things that moved the needle much, much more than it did. And of course, it has a great legacy of box office success. So I wonder if there's a lot of people looking at that and saying like, well, why didn't a Medea Homecoming do better? Was it the layoff? Was it, is it just something that's more engineered for immediate box office success? Uh, that was a surprise to me. And I think that's kind of buried in the different data points as we go. Thank you for being patient with me as I go over my data points. As I mentioned, this is not a huge weekend here at the box office domestically. We have the opening of The Lost City starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. We'll see if that moves the needle. And then a lot of stuff in limited release. Several movies, just a few. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once by Daniels opens in limited release. And I am super jealous of everybody that gets to see it this weekend. I think I have to wait a couple more weeks to see that one. But that looks like a really, really interesting film. High up on my most anticipated list for the year. Colin Firth and Oscar nominee Olivia Colman are in the drama Mothering Sunday, which opens in limited release. And there's also, I guess this is a genre now, the COVID comedy Seven Days, starring and co-written by Deadpool's Karan Sony, also opening in limited release, although I think a little bit wider than a lot of these other films. And that does it for charts this week. Thank you so much for watching. This is a big week here on the channel. I think you're going to be getting something pretty much every day of the week because this is Oscar week. And so I'm working on a series of reviews. First, a video that's going to take on all of the nominees for best animated film. I've reviewed already Luca and Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, but I have not reviewed Flea. I've not reviewed Encanto and I've not reviewed the Mitchells versus the Machines. So I'll be bringing you my thoughts on all those. I'll also be doing uh, a series of reviews for the documentary films that are not nominated and the best international films. I'm catching up on all those. I'll bring you my thoughts on those categories as well. Getting towards the end of the week, I'll also be bringing you my personal picks for the Academy Awards, both who I think the Academy is going to award, although it is chaos right now. All of the different guilds have split. I love it because there's no real front runner at this point. Nobody really knows what's going to happen on Sunday. So I'll give you who I think might happen and then who I would also pick for all of the Academy Awards. I'll also be doing a review of The Lost City, which is the biggest release of the week. So you can look out for that. And finally, on Sunday, Oscar night, I will be watching the awards here at home. And then you will see me very shortly thereafter with my thoughts. They can't possibly screw it up worse than they did last year. I I still can't believe they did what they did. Did last year. That whole Anthony Hopkins, Chadwick Boseman thing, I think that's the worst blunder in the history of the Academy Awards because it wasn't somebody opening the wrong envelope. That was completely avoidable. Just a dumb, dumb thing. So I guess there's really nowhere to go but up for the Academy this year. Although with the giving out of the awards and the commercial breaks, leave it to the Academy to find a new bottom. We have so much that we're going to be able to talk about. So stay tuned. Busy week here on the channel. And don't forget that if you don't catch everything that I do here uh, on the YouTube channel, everything I do also goes to my podcast channel. You can find all those links down there in the description below. And I'll be restarting all my movies soon. Stay tuned. After we get through this Oscar crush, I actually have a few different announcements to make about the future of all my movies and some other stuff that I'm working on. I'm super excited to tell you about. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you again to Carbon Health, my partner, and Athletic Greens, the sponsor for today's show. But most of all, thank you for being a loyal viewer. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you next time. Bye.